the double-edged sword of shutting down the deep dot web marketplace, a more diagnostic approach to dealing with data breaches, and a well-timed ransomware attack on postal services company Pitney Bowes. These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Nick Holland. There's an English saying that goes, necessity is the mother of invention. This adage is particularly applicable to the world of cybercrime. Shut down one avenue for criminal activity and they'll move on to other channels and methodologies. The recent IOCTA report from Europol provides documentary evidence of exactly this, with the takedown of the underground deep dot web marketplace causing cybercriminals to pursue other, more inventive channels. With more on the story, is ISMG's executive editor, Data Breach Today in Europe, Matthew Schwartz. What's the best way to disrupt cybercrime? For police, the answer has been to infiltrate and shut down darknet marketplaces, which can list for sale everything from narcotics, guns, and stolen payment card data to fake IDs, child abuse images, and myriad cybercrime-as-a-service offerings. This approach is well-documented in the latest Internet Organized Crime Threat Assessment, issued by the EU's Law Enforcement Intelligence Agency, Europol. What we're seeing in terms of the markets, the dark markets, we've had some success. That's cybercrime expert Alan Woodward, a visiting professor of computer science at the University of Surrey in England. He says Europol has been instrumental in helping to disrupt cybercrime markets. They've obviously helped with things like Hansa and whatever that you've seen. But also one of the, one of the key ones was Deep.Web, which was a standard dot-com website that anybody could visit, but it was basically signposted where all the markets were, <laughs> all the dark markets were, and indeed which ones were up and which ones were down and so on and so forth. And that got seized, which was quite good. Deep.web was important because it not only listed which Tor-based cybercrime markets were up or down at that time, it also functioned as the equivalent of a telephone directory for anyone who wanted to reach the marketplaces. In May, the FBI announced that the Deep.web portal had been shut down, and its alleged administrators arrested as part of an international operation. Police said that Deep.Web was earning referral fees from sending users to darknet markets, which, over time, saw the portal's administrators bag bitcoins worth millions of dollars. Stung by darknet market takedowns and Deep.Web being shuttered, criminals have responded. And it's not clear how exactly police might disrupt criminals' innovative new moves. I mean, Telegram, which is still you know, the, the system of choice for extremists, things like that can be used quite successfully for if you've got kind of groups and selected groups to be able to have, you know, basically run a marketplace on them. So trying to think about sort of the next stage, having won some battles against uh, some of the criminals who are misusing the dark web, now they're moving to the more distributed environment. How does one deal with that? So it's, it's the usual game of whack-a-mole. The criminals, as I say, they don't um, innovate just for the sake of it. They do when they think the law enforcement is getting close. Hence, law enforcement has to adapt as well. And that's again, that's all of what's happening going forward. As criminals innovate, so too do law enforcement agencies. But don't expect their strategies to come to light, at least until they have fresh cybercrime market disruptions or arrests to announce. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Matthew Schwartz. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. On the theme of adages, 
Benjamin Franklin was quoted as saying, in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Today, we might want to add a third certainty to the idiom, data breaches. With breaches occurring more than daily, consumer breach fatigue is a serious issue with breached organisations typically providing just boilerplate form letters advising consumers to monitor credit scores and to change passwords. A new initiative by a startup called Breach Clarity, in conjunction with their partner organisation, the Identity Theft Resource Centre, aims to provide consumers with a more nuanced approach to breaches affecting them, allowing them to assess the level of risk and to triage what actions they should take. I spoke with Al Pascal, COO and co-founder of Breach Clarity, about the initiative, asking him firstly to tell me how it works. Technically speaking, right, it's an algorithm-based set of products and services that says how meaningful any data breach is for victims on a 1 to 10 scale. So kind of like a, uh, a Richter scale of breaches. It tells you what the harms are, right, or the identity crimes that can result from any breach and what consumers should do about it. That's it. That's the long and short. A few different products, you know, in there, um, a lot of them digital oriented, but, you know, that's the heart. Okay. So, I mean, obviously there's a constant deluge of data breaches. I think if I'm right in saying it mm. looks like there's four breaches a day, something like that is kind of the, the average that we're looking at over a year or so. There's clearly an issue with like breach fatigue in that I think right. a lot of people just assume that their data is out there at this point in time. You know, is, is, is that the, the concept behind it to sort of, again, look at which ones are probably the most egregious or the most harmful and act on those, and, uh, whereas avoiding the ones that are maybe more hype than actual damage. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of it, right? Um, I think clarity is really key. Um, but breach fatigue, I mean, that's that's real, right? I mean, that is a real thing. I'm not going to say it's not. But I think it's really a, it's a function of how the system is broken, right? So to your point, every day, you know, is three to four breaches on average, about $15 billion in fraud losses. That stuff is intricately, you know, it's connected. Um, but unfortunately, the way we deal with breaches, so as consumers and as organizations, um, it's, it's less than optimal, right? It kind of perpetuates or drives breach fatigue. I mean, consumers are getting these notifications and you know, those notifications are like form letters, right? So we take them, we look at them, say the same stuff every time, we throw them in the garbage. You know, we see this hype on the news, right? It's all FUD. It says every breach is the worst breach ever, you know, but every time, no matter what the breach is, you should always do the same thing, right? Freeze your credit or whatever. Um, it creates apathy. Equifax, right? Equifax was like a, a four out of 10. Um, and if, you know, Capital One, for 99% of the people affected by the Capital One breach, it's a three out of 10, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, different breaches have different risks. You want a 10? OPM was a 10. But if yeah. you're the everyday consumer, how can you tell the difference, right? You can't. So what do you do? I mean, you're going to throw up your hands. So if you help people understand, to your point, the real risks, and you help create a pathway for them to do something about it, that's what they're going to do. Because otherwise, they're just going to call their bank. Their bank's going to read them a script, right? That doesn't help the bank. It doesn't help the consumer. Meanwhile, these banks have things like two-factor off. They have card controls. They have alerts. They have all kinds of stuff that the consumers can and should turn on after a breach. But again, there's no pathway for them to do that. And so what do you end up with? Again, apathy, helplessness, breach fatigue. Um, and it's not the consumer's fault, right? It's the system's fault. Finally, another week and another ransomware attack. However, according to the FBI, there are indications that these are becoming ever more targeted. And certainly the recently hit postal services company Pitney Bowes was attacked at a critical time for their annual business, coinciding with the October 15th IRS tax filing deadline for those who filed 2018 extensions back in April. With the story, here's ISMG's managing editor, security and technology, Jeremy Cook. 
The most prominent ransomware infection this week affected shipping giant Pitney Bowes. On Monday, the company said it was infected by file encrypting malware. Amongst other problems, customers haven't been able to top up their postage accounts, which likely means extra trips to the post office. In a Wednesday update, the company said it has made progress restoring postal refills for its U.S. customers, but it was still not working. It also said it was working to restore that functionality in the U.K. Many of its online offerings remain inaccessible, including customers' ability to access its postage supply web store. Also, customers can't automatically upload envelope printing transactions from machines, which they typically do at least once every day. Fortunately, Pitney Bowes says it hasn't seen evidence that customer or employee data was accessed. Some customers noted that the outage comes at a critical time for U.S. IRS filings. Tuesday was the deadline for people who requested a filing extension for their 2018 tax return. Pitney Bowes processes 16.5 billion pieces of mail annually, and it runs pre-sorting facilities that feed packages and mail into the U.S. postal system. Those systems have been impacted, but Pitney Bowes didn't say to what extent. Ransomware has put businesses, municipal governments, and schools in a bind. Earlier this month, the FBI issued a new advisory saying that ransomware attacks are becoming more targeted, sophisticated, and costly even as the overall frequency of attacks remains consistent. The FBI says it's seen a sharp decrease in indiscriminate ransomware attacks, but the losses from the successful ones, which often target healthcare, industrial, and transportation companies, have become increasingly costly. The FBI has maintained what has long been the advice, don't pay the ransom as there's no guarantee the decryption key will be supplied. But the FBI surprisingly acknowledged what has been an increasing trend of paying ransoms since it can be cheaper than mounting a recovery effort from scratch. For its part, Pitney Bowes indicated that, quote, all options are on the table, although it did not directly say that paying the attackers is one. When asked if Pitney Bowes has cyber insurance, a spokeswoman in Australia said the company didn't have more information to publicly release. We may learn later if a Bitcoin ransom was the quickest way out. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. That's it for this week's ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Nick Holland. Catch you next time.